Yeah, so good to be here, especially night church. I love the morning church. They're extremely encouraging people. But I also love night church because you guys are encouraging too. And <laughs> no, it's just, I don't know. This feels like home to me. This, this feels probably more home than even my home church in Germany at the moment. And so I'm like super, super sad that I'll be leaving soon. But I also feel tremendously encouraged and honored to be here um, that Dave and Tim just trust me with speaking to you guys. And I still remember the day when I got asked to preach. Um, I was in Sydney at Manly Beach with my friend from Germany. And I got this message. I was like, oh, yeah, cool. Like, I was so happy. Like, I was really honored. And then I went to the gym with Tim, that rhymes. And I, was, I asked him, hey, Tim, what do you want to preach me on? And Tim was like, yeah, just whatever you want. And I was like, yeah, cool. I can preach whenever, whatever I want. Like, it's the best thing. And then in the next minute, I just realized, oh, I actually need to pray about this now. And I actually need to ask God what he wants to, um, yeah, what message he wants me to communicate with you. And so over and over, this book of Esther came up. Like, it was so bizarre because before that I, pray, like, I was like God I find the Old Testament pretty boring can you please make it alive and he's like read Esther I'm like okay and so I read Esther and it popped up everywhere here and there on social media with people reading Esther and I was like what a random book to read you know the interesting thing about Esther is that God and prayer and all these kind of spiritual things they're not mentioned once in the first seven centuries of church history we don't find any commentaries on this book some people were against the book of Esther to be in the Bible. For example, Martin Luther, who is one of um, the leaders of the Reformation. This year we celebrate 500 years, which is cool. Um, and I really like Martin Luther, but he was so against the book of Esther in the Bible. And it's really interesting. And so I was wrestling with this book. I was studying it. I had no idea where God was going to take me. I just studied contexts. I studied... You know, I prayed, God, what verses do you want me to focus on? I had no idea where he was going to take me. Until I was sitting in this cafe. Oh, cafe. <laughs> I learned that on Friday. Joshua Leck, thank you so much for showing me how to pronounce that word correctly in Australian. Um, and so I was sitting there and I, was, I suddenly realized, well, the things that Esther went through are the exact same things, the very, very similar things that we have to go through. Esther was in a situation where she desired safety. And so often we are, like, not only so often, it's actually in our human nature that we just want safety. You know, there might be a few risk takers among us. They're like, ew, I love taking risks. But let's be real, do you really love taking risks? There's a point that you reach and you don't love taking risks. You want to be safe and I want to be safe. I want to be comfortable. I don't like being uncomfortable because it's uncomfortable. Okay? And so this is what we're going to talk about um, tonight. It's just the desire for safety and how Esther has found safety and how we can find safety. So what we need to understand is that this book is a story in the Old Testament. And just to understand it a bit better, I'm going to, going to introduce us into the context first. So at this stage in history, Jews were living pretty much all over the place in the Persian Empire. It was right after the Babylonian exile. So some Jews returned back to Jerusalem, but not all of them. There was little Jewish communities all over the, Jew, um, the Persian Empire. And the book of Esther focuses on this little 
Jewish community in the Persian capital called Susa. And the Persian Empire was reigned by King Xerxes. If any one of you has watched the movie 300, don't watch it, but if any one of you has watched it, um, King Xerxes, the bold guy with all the cool chains, that's him, okay? That's King Xerxes. And he was powerful, extremely powerful. The Persian Empire had 44% of the world's population at its prime time. It is insane. Imagine a country today that has 44% of the world's population. And so you can just imagine how much power this guy has, how much money or possessions this person has. And so what Xerxes does, he's like, Oi, I want to have a party. Think about schoolies, all right, but not for one week, not for two weeks. Xerxes went for six months, okay? So Xerxes creates this, like, sets up this big, big feast for all of his officials and servants just to show off how great he is, just to show off how much money he has, how wealthy he is, how powerful he is. And one day, Xerxes, probably being drunk, let's be real, he's like, hey, I want my Queen Vashti to be shown to everyone. I want everyone to see how beautiful my queen is. And then the queen, who's Vashti, she was like, no, nah, I don't want to do it. And then Xerxes is like, well, see you then. So he just like steps her down from her office and yep, a little bit of a dispute. And then she's gone. So what, next, what happens next is basically the ancient version of The Bachelor on Channel 10. He just sends out his officials to search for the most beautiful unmarried women all over the Persian Empire. And so they are being sent into 12 months of beautification, is what they call it. So they get everything they want, everything to just become the most beautiful and prettiest woman in the Persian Empire. Okay, and then in the end, Xerxes chooses Esther. Now we're introduced to Esther, who's um, the protagonist, the main role in this whole book. Esther was a Jewish girl. She was probably between 13 and 17 years old. Let's just say she was 15 for the sake of not saying 13 to 17. So she was 15 years old and she was an orphan girl. She did not have dad or mom with her. And she was being raised by Mordecai. Mordecai was her uncle. And so we're focusing on this little Jewish community in the Persian Empire. And then suddenly this guy comes into play, his name is Haman. He's pretty much the main enemy of the Jews. He's the main enemy of Mordecai and of Esther. And Haman is being put second in charge in the Persian Empire. So he's the second mightiest man in the Persian Empire after King Xerxes. And Haman, I guess he struggled a little bit with pride. He was like, I want everyone to bow down in front of me when I walk past. You know, um, so that, that's, that guy's Haman, the grumpy guy with the beard. And now he's in gold clothes. Yeah, no, that's Haman. He just wants everyone to bow down in front of him. But Mordecai, Esther's uncle, is like, nah, I don't want to bow down before you. And so Haman sees that. And he gets really, really angry. And so he goes to the king and he's like, I don't like these Jews. You know, like, they're not listening. They're not obeying. So he decrees together with the king that all Jews in the Persian Empire have to be executed or killed. And all Jews in the Persian Empire means all Jews in the world. All Jews in the world means all of God's people 
were meant to die at this stage in history. And so the Jews mourn over this decree. They wear sackcloth. They just go out and just like cry out and they're like, oh my goodness, we're, we're doomed. What are we going to do? And so Mordecai knows that his niece Esther is actually the queen right now. So through a messenger they communicate. Through a messenger, Mordecai is like, hey Esther, you need to go to the king. Esther, you need to go to the king and ask and beg for his favor. But Esther was like, oh, I don't know, I'm, I'm really scared. You know that if anyone goes to the king without being asked, they have to be killed unless the king holds out his golden scepter. But that's, we don't know if he's going to hold out his golden scepter. So I'm really scared. So at this stage, we have introduced ourselves. I have introduced you to chapter 4, verses 12 through 16, which are the verses that we're going to um, focus on. And we really have to understand that basically the fate of God's people is resting on Esther, who won the bachelor. But it was resting on Esther, like 15-year-old Jewish girl, no parents. The fate of God's people is resting on her. Just imagine the pressure that she had to experience at this stage. And so before I jump into these verses, I just want to pray. Um, yeah, so Father, we are thankful for your presence. We thank you that you are here. We thank you for the book of Esther and how you have worked through Esther, you've worked through Mordecai and this whole book, God, and I pray that you would encourage us through it. I pray that you would challenge us through this book. I pray that every word that's going to be spoken within the next 15 or 20 minutes just comes from you, and I pray that I will be completely transparent for your words, that I will just be a vessel for you. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would transform our hearts and that we would leave this place with whatever encouragement or challenge we need tonight. So would you just guide us in the next minutes? Amen. Cool. So let's read those verses. So again, Esther shared her fear with Mordecai. And so this is what Mordecai replies. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish and who knows but that you have come to your royal position position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So I just want to focus, like what we're going to do now is we're just basically just going to go through these verses. And we're going to have a look what principles can we get out of this, you know, and how does this relate to us? Like as I said at the beginning, I found, man, Old Testament really boring, but this thing has come extremely alive to me and I believe it will come alive to you as well if it has been boring so far to you. And I really want to encourage you to, yeah, see yourself as challenged by what we're going to read soon. See yourself as challenged as 
Um, yeah, but the things that Esther will go through. So, yes, let's start. So Mordecai says this. Do not think that, think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. If you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. You know, one thing that I see, that we can see in this, like what Mordecai is basically implying is that God is not dependent on Esther's skills. He's not dependent on her. Mordecai is saying, if you don't do this, someone else will do it. Esther was this foreign 15-year-old girl, no parents, just alone, no fancy qualifications for the job. Pretty sure there's no queen apprenticeship anywhere. Like, she was not qualified for the job. But God still chose to call her. And it's the same with us. God doesn't really need us, but he wants us. God doesn't really need our abilities, but what he wants is our availability. You know, I love Aaron leading worship. I think he's such a talented worship leader. I think everyone on stage is such a talented musician and worshiper. But I do not believe that these guys are on stage leading us because they're the best at it, even though they are great. I believe they're on stage leading us into worship because they were available. You know, God's not looking for these able people. God's not looking for perfect people who have figured everything out, but God is looking for available people who raise their hand and they say, here I am, God, just send me. He's just looking for available people because he desires availability way more than ability. And so Esther's first step to find safety is just to make herself available. It's as simple as that. She just makes herself available. And so... Let's jump into the next verse. And then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. This is probably the moment in the book of Esther where the whole story starts to flip. This is where Esther has made this decision. Yes, I will do it. But her first step is not immediately going to the king. Her first step is this. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Now, as we said at the beginning, there's no word like God, no word like prayer in the book of Esther. But what Mordecai is implying, uh, Esther is implying again, yes, fasting always comes with praying. A fast without prayer is just a really bad diet in the end. Fasting always comes with praying. And so what we see is after Esther makes herself available, first thing she does is, God, I need your help. I can't do this on my own. First thing she does is acknowledging, God, you have to come through. You know, God's purpose in us can only be fulfilled if we actually let him work through us. He can only come through as much as we really let him work through us. So this is what Esther's doing. She's like, all right, I'm up for it. I'm going to do it. But God, I need your help. So the second step, very simple, again, finding safety. Esther prays and she asks for his help. She asks for God's help. As simple as it sounds, I sometimes wonder if I do it that way. 
And now we go into this next verse, and she says, When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. It's probably my favorite verse in this whole book, because we see this absolute obedience that Esther had towards God. Where she was like, yes, God, I'm going to do it. And if I perish, I perish. She's just completely open-handed there. Just saying, God, it's all in your hands. I surrender to your will. I surrender to whatever you're going to do. I can't do this on my own. And so this third step that we have is basically just trusting God and, may, and, and just completely surrendering to whatever he wants to do. And I know that this is probably the most uncomfortable thing you could do. You know, as I was preparing this message, I started quite early with the preparation of this message because I like my things to be organized and good. And then in the past days, I realized, oh my goodness, this doesn't make much sense at this stage. And so I was sitting there on my laptop last night, 9.30 p.m., and I was like, God, you have to come through now. I need to know what I'm going to tell to these people. And <laughs> it was so ironic because God said, go to bed and I'll tell you tomorrow morning. <laughs> it's just this ironic thing of, of he is putting me into this uncomfortable position so that he can come through in the end, so that he can work mightily through me. If we look into the Bible... God has never called us to a comfortable life. If you look into the Old Testament, Moses, Joshua, Abraham, Nehemiah, Jonah, Esther, all of these people, before God came through to show his glory, before God came through to show his faithfulness, he always put them into an uncomfortable position. God has not called us to a comfortable life, but a a li he called us to a life of obedience and of complete surrender where we just let go and hand things over to him where we make ourselves available. So these are the three steps. They sound so simple. Making yourself available, praying and asking for God's help, God's help, trusting God completely and surrendering to his will. I don't know. To me, they sound simple, but it's not that simple if we're honest with each other. It's not that simple to even make yourself available. I know many times where I've been asked to do things and I had to wrestle through it because I felt so unqualified for it. Surrendering and being obedient is probably one of the hardest things that we could do because we are not in control anymore. All of us like to be in control. All of us like to be safe. All of us like to be comfortable, just as we said at the beginning. But the question we have to ask ourselves is, is this really the life that God called us to live? And so the story finishes in a quite epic way. I really encourage you to read the book of Esther because it's amazing. What happens? Haman, that guy who wanted to kill all of the Jews, is being executed at this exact spot when Mordecai was supposed to die. So that's number one, done. Mordecai is being put second in charge in the Persian Empire. You see how God flips this whole story? Mordecai is now second in charge in the Persian Empire. And because they, he's in second in charge, Esther is the queen, 
they have influence on the king. And so they're like, hey, King Xerxes, can you please change something? We don't want to die. And King Xerxes is like, sorry, can't reverse my decree. But what I can decree is that all Jews are allowed to fight back. And I will give you everything that you need for that. And so what happens in the end is that all Jews fight back and they survive. God's people survive. And God has his way. And he used a 15-year-old orphan girl for that. You know, I tried finding heroes in this story, but I couldn't find any. Esther probably lived in sin. Mordecai probably lived in sin too. Probably didn't obey the Jewish food laws that were a thing by then. You know. Mm, think about that for a second. I've lost my point. <laughs> um, Okay, looking back through these three steps, so the whole story is reverse, but looking back to these three steps, okay, so like um, making yourself available, praying and asking for God's help, and just completely surrendering to his will. I have asked myself this question last night. If the Bible is really God's word, and I presume it's true, then what I preach to you, I have to be able to preach to a Christian in North Korea or a Christian in Syria. Someone who doesn't have the safe that we have, not even who doesn't have the physical safety, someone who could just die the next day because of their faith. And Romans 5 verse 10 says this thing, For if while we were God's enemies we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled, will we be saved through his life? Will we be saved through his life? I believe that true safety is found only in Jesus. No matter how much we look for safety, no matter how hard we try to set up strategic insurances in our lives that we are um, just set up and like we don't need to worry about anything, these things can fail. Our health can fail any second. Speaking about the persecuted Christian, their life can just end the next day. And so the safety that was actually found in Jesus is eternal safety. Yes, God asks us to pray. He asks us to surrender, to make ourselves available. And yes, he will be with us, but in the end, true safety is found in Jesus. If we look into the gospel, it's so clear that with the gospel, they always, always, Jesus always preaches this self-denial. Yes, we are saved by grace through faith and faith alone. But what is our response to that? You know, when Jesus comes, he says to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life will save it. Story finishes with a big feast called Purim. Every time Jewish people celebrate Purim, they still celebrate it today, the book of Esther is being read because the, their purpose of the book of Esther is to show where Purim comes from. Purim is there to commemorate that God saved the Jewish people through Esther and Mordecai at this stage. We don't celebrate Purim, or not most of us don't. If you do, that's cool. Um, 
it's actually really interesting to celebrate Jewish feasts. But anyway, um, we don't celebrate Purim, but what we do is we celebrate communion. You know, as I said at the very not the very beginning, just a few minutes ago, there's I couldn't find any hero in this story because the only hero that we have is actually Jesus Christ. You know, Mordecai and Esther they saved a people, but Jesus is saving people from all people. Like He just comes through and pulls you out of this dark and gives you new life, eternal life, eternal safety. You might never know if you just wake up the next day, I don't know, with your f- health just being completely gone, with your money gone, your business might just com- your business might fall apart. But this true safety that we have is only in Jesus, and He calls us to deny ourselves and to surrender to Him. And so, as we go into communion, I just there's three questions on the on the on the screen that I really want to encourage us to ask ask ourselves. You know, where's God calling us to surrender and to step out in obedience? Where are we too tired? Where are we trying to get control? And yeah, what do we have to let control of? And then what is he calling us to do? No. So I really encourage us to use this time in communion. Three steps, making yourself available praying and asking for God's help and just surrendering to his will. I believe these are the things that God is calling us to do. And the eternal security he gives us is being together with him in heaven where there's no weeping, where there's no mourning, where there's no suffering. I don't know if you came to church trying to be really encouraged and everything is cool and happy clappy, but it sounds a bit depressing, but this is what Jesus is calling us to do. And I don't believe it's depressing forever, but it's just a little moment until we are with eternity, in eternity with him. So let's pray together before we go into communion. Father, thank you for Esther. Thank you for how you have used broken people to fulfill your plan. Thank you for how you have used broken people to show your faithfulness and to get ultimate glory. And God, you see our lives. You see where we're trying to control circumstances and things. You see where we're trying to control maybe even other people where we're trying to control and just hold everything together in our lives. And God, I pray that you would reveal these things to us where we have to let control of those things that hold us back and that hold us back from truly following you. Jesus, I thank you so much for the cross. I thank you that you died for our sins and you rose again on the third day just to show that sin's wage has been defeated, that death is no more for us, for those who believe in you. God, I thank you that this invitation is open to anyone. And that you will save everyone who believes in you and who follows you. If you are at church for the first time and you actually have never made this step to actually say, hey, I want to be in for that. I I just want to follow Jesus. I want to have eternal life. I want my life to be completely changed. 
I just really want to encourage you to make that step tonight. Um, Dave will be here to offer prayer. I will be there to offer prayer. I'm sure Tim will be open to offer prayer too. Um, you can see us in the first row. And I just want to encourage you to really make that first step. And maybe it's not a commitment to Jesus. Maybe it's a commitment to letting go. Maybe it's a commitment to lose control over things and just let God have control over your situation. Maybe it's this one commitment, and I can't name it right now. It's this one commitment that only you know that you want to make. I really want to encourage you to make it tonight. And I even want to encourage you to do it with, with another person. Just to make it really official. So Father, every word that's been spoken tonight, every word that came from my mouth, that came from our mouths, just use it for your glory. Just change our hearts, transform our hearts. Let us let control, let go of control. Let us surrender these things to you and let us be in complete and total obedience to you. Let us be dependent on you, and even though it is uncomfortable. Mm. So Holy Spirit, would you lead us? Amen.